Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good, great, and uh, a whistle. I like that. Hey, if you're new around here, um, first off, welcome to B4 Church. My name is Alex, and like Shane, I have the privilege of getting to serve here as one of the pastors. Um, today, we're going to continue on our series that Pastor Brad started a few weeks ago on the soul. Now, last night, um, I was talking to one of my three daughters, Scarlett, who's five, and uh, she loves when I get to speak on the stage, as she calls it. Now, in her mind, she's hoping that perhaps I would maybe speak on Barbie dream houses or LOL dolls or whatever it would be. But um, she asked, Dad, what are you going to share with everybody? What, what are you going to say when you get up there? And I said, well, Scarlett, I'm going to talk about the soul. Do you know what a soul is? And she goes, hmm, interesting. <laughs> she said, well... I know that in my Peppa Pig cartoon, they said it was complicated, but I think that's all I really know. And I laugh, but isn't that true, right? Don't in so many ways we feel as if uh, soul is in our vernacular, we use the term often, but more often than not, we don't even know what it means. And so as, I'm, as I was thinking about that, I was incredibly thankful that over the last few weeks, Pastor Brad has sort of laid a foundation um, for what the scriptures teach as the soul. Um, and, and the scriptures, just as, as a refresher, teach us that the soul is the composite of a human being's will, of their mind, and of their body. And together they make this whole human being. And the scriptures teach us that, um, that God cares about every single facet of who you are. And we live in a really interesting age today. In our culture, it has become increasingly more and more common for people to acknowledge the reality of the non-physical. Um, there was an age where everything was about how, what you see, what you taste, what you smell, what you touch, what you hear. But our culture has begun to shift and has begun to embrace the non-temporal, the non-spatial, the non-physical. Um, our culture has begun to acknowledge the soul. And in doing so, it's given birth to an entire movement called the wellness movement. Now in this wellness movement, the, the vision is that you would be well in every aspect and facet of your life. It sort of aims to kind of break apart the different parts of who you are and to say, be, will, be well in the physical, be well in the occupational, be well in the relational, be well in the, in the spiritual. And as our culture has shifted to acknowledge and recognize these things, it has given birth not just to a movement, but to an entire industry. Um, and and I, I actually am very thankful for this awakening to our whole self, because I love avocado toast. Is anyone with me? <laughs> right. Um, I love that drive towards what is healthy for your body. Um, I love that in our culture today, it is no longer taboo to go to counseling or to therapy. Is anyone with me? Right. I love that there has been this renewed emphasis on what they call the work-life balance of recognizing that you are more than a human doing, but a human being. Um, I'm so thankful for all of these tools in my life because they've been transformative to me. Um, I'm thankful that I can literally track how much calories I'm burning, why I'm right here every single day to ensure that my body reaches optimal health. 
I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for all of these things, and I hope you are too. And yet, at the same time, we recognize that something is missing. Um, for the last decade plus, there's been an organization that has put out a survey called the World Happiness Survey, right? I, wouldn't you love to work on the World Happiness Survey? Um, it's either going to be incredibly uplifting or depressing, depending on what you find out. And this year, and just over the last recent weeks, this organization put out um, the World Happiness Report for 2019, and they measure happiness trends throughout 156 countries all over the world. And what they've noticed, particularly over the last decade, is that in the U.S., we have spent more money and more time, more of our resources have gone to wellness than ever before in our history, and yet at the same time, we have never been more unhappy. We are at an all-time low in overall happiness, and we are one of the leading countries in the entire world for unhappiness. And so the truth is, is that all of these things that we do to bring about wellness in our life, which are good and I'm grateful for and I'm thankful for, still don't fill a deep thirst in your soul. There is something that is still left empty. The scriptures teach us that there is a place inside of your being, your soul, that desperately needs God. No matter how much wellness you pursue, you still will miss wholeness. Jesus' desire for you goes beyond you being well, but being whole. That every bit and piece of yourself that is maybe broken or in pain would experience the living God and be made whole again. This morning, we're going to continue to dive into the soul. And in doing so, we're going to look at some ancient biblical poetry called the Psalms. And the Psalms give us um, a picture of the nature, of the character, of who God is, and how he works through humanity and all space and time. But also, they give you language to describe what often is undescribable what is going on inside of me, the turmoil that I feel inside of my own soul, and yet I don't know what to say. The Psalms give us the language of the soul. So if you have a Bible with me, I'm gonna read Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Now I'm gonna give you two options here. You can read along with me, or you can simply just take a posture of closing your eyes and listening to the Psalm as it is read over you. Psalm 42, for the director of music, a maskil of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Why people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things, as I remember, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon. From Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and your breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord, or Yahweh, directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and are wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care, and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Jesus, may the words of your scriptures jump alive into our life today. Holy Spirit of the living God, may you meet us wherever we are, and may you speak to us. As you spoke to the chaos of an early creation and brought about beauty, purpose, order, and meaning, May you speak, may you breathe into and onto our lives, and may you take that which feels chaotic and tumultuous and bring about life in your name. Amen. So the psalm starts with the part that I always skip whenever I'm reading the Bible. It's this tiny little phrase for the director of music, Amaskil, the sons of Korah. Now as I dug deep into this, this tiny little portion of the psalm actually became my absolute favorite. I realized that there is this almost this clue into the direction of the entirety of the psalm simply based on this tiny little phrase. I guess it's important. Go figure. It's in the Bible, right? Who are the sons of Korah? Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, and Pastor Shane shared a story out of the Old Testament where there was a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and Aaron's staff literally blossomed in almond, and it was proof that God was with Moses and Aaron. If you remember that story, it actually came on the heels of what was called Korah's Rebellion. Now, Korah was um, probably a popular figure amongst this time in Israel's history, and Korah led a group of people to rebel against Moses, to rebel against Aaron, and to rebel ultimately against the plan and purpose of God. Korah would be struck down and destroyed, and all those who went with him as punishment for his rebellion. However, the scriptures are clear that the sons of Korah remained. 
By the time we get here to the psalm, the sons of Korah are worship leaders. But beyond that, they are, they are people who administer um, the duties of the temple. Their responsibility is to lead people into the presence of God and to teach people, particularly the people of God, about who God is. One of the reasons why I love this tiny little tidbit of the story is that if the sons of Korah could be worship leaders in the temple, if God can redeem them from their shameful past, from the mistakes of their father, from all the brokenness and garbage in their life, and call them priests, if they are not too far gone, you are not too far gone. I don't know what you did yesterday. I don't know what happened to you yesterday. I don't know what you have journeyed through over the last week. But it's oftentimes that we look at those things and we think that perhaps they disqualify me from the love, from the purpose, and the provision of God. But these sons of Korah, instead of falling deep into the patterns and the sins and the behaviors of their father, turned away and turned towards God. And he had a hope and he had a future for them. This is the kind of person that writes the psalm. Now, as he starts, he says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? The psalmist uses um, a metaphor of thirst. And until I started to really dive into the text, one of the things that I always thought was that the psalmist was saying, I have passion for God, right? I hunger for God. I want to be passionate and filled and excited for the things of God. But that's not what he's saying. In fact, if you look at it in context, the metaphor is this, that there's a deer in the desert who returns back to a stream that he always knew had water that could sustain him and, re- and bring him life all over again. And yet he gets there and the riverbed is bone dry. That the place that he used to go to feel alive in his soul once again is gone. And he's left with nothing. The thirst of the psalmist is not a good thing, but a bad thing. And don't get me wrong, I'm all about thirsting for the presence of God in our life, and that's a good thing. But what he's saying is that he is far more aware of the absence of God in his life than he is the presence of God in his life. Now, he remembers a time when things were different. In verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Some of you came in this morning ready to go, right? Like not ready to leave, but like ready to worship, ready to participate, ready to dive in as Waymaker, which is like one of my favorite songs right now. As it went on, you were like, yes, I don't see you and I don't feel you, but you're working, right? You were, you were in the zone, right? You came ready to go. Some of you came into the room and you couldn't feel farther away from the presence of God. You looked around and you watched people's hands extended up in the sky 
you watched maybe some people even weeping with passion and joy for the creator of the universe, but not you. You came in wondering if he was even real. You came in wondering if all of this was even just a complete and total waste of your time. You came in feeling this tremendous absence of the presence of God in your life. You came in doubting everything that you've ever known and everything that you've ever experienced. And perhaps you came in thinking that you were all alone, but you're not. One, you have the company of the psalmist who himself expresses this tremendous distance from God. But two, you have the company of many of us, myself included, who have gone through seasons of their life or are going through right now that feel more like this than they do the expression of joy. See, the psalmist remembers, and maybe you do too, of a time when things were different. But for right now, they're not. Now, there could be a lot of reasons, well, maybe three or four different reasons why we have lost the experience of the presence of God in our life. The first could be sin. Sin being missing the intended design that God has for you and how he desires for you to walk in life. Um, Sin is a rebellion against God and his ways and a turning towards your own ways, your own desires, your own yearning and longings in life. Certainly because of sin and particularly habitual sin, decisions to continue to live in those patterns over and over again can cause a distance from you and from the presence of God. But that is not the psalmist's case. Another thing is could be distraction. Is that God is here, he's present, he's near to you in your circumstances, but you're too busy for him. Your phone is constantly notifying you of this, of that, of another thing. You have your day scheduled from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, day after day after day after day. Your watch reminds you it's time to take a deep breath, right? Because you've forgotten to breathe. Which I'm laughing because my watch literally just told me that. So, <laughs> But you're so busy, so distracted that you never take a moment to be with God. Dallas Willard once famously said that hurry or busyness is the arch enemy of our spiritual life. And certainly that could be the case for you. Maybe you have missed or lacked the presence of God and his involvement in your life because you're too distracted, but that's not the case for the psalmist. And last, third, um, maybe the lack of the presence of God in your life has to do with the demonic. I think of Daniel um, and how in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel asks God to answer his prayers, and um, for some reason, what we learn is demonic activity. For 21 days, Daniel does not get an answer from God. There's this demonic block preventing him from experiencing the answers and the presence of God. And maybe some of you are experiencing this turmoil of the demonic in your life. And certainly that can be a separation of the presence of God. But that's not the psalmist's journey here. No, the psalmist's journey is different. None of those things are the reason why the psalmist is no longer experiencing the presence of God. But there is one culprit, and it's a bit surprising. The reason why the psalmist has lacked the experience of the presence of God 
is because of God himself. God allows the psalmist to experience what would be his wilderness sort of desert experience in his own life so that his relationship with God would evolve beyond feeling. Because when our relationships move beyond just how we feel, they become mature. They become deep and rooted. I think about um, my relationship with my wife. Uh, When we met 11 years ago, we... (laughs) We never ran out of things to talk about. Come on. I remember the first time I talked to her on the phone from 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. The birds were chirping outside. I remember it clearly. The passion, the energy, the, the reality that, man, I could talk to you forever and we'd never run out of things to say. Fast forward 11 years and, you know, bedtime hits 9.30 and things have changed. That same sort of passion and energy and excitement to to never run out of things to talk about, it's different now. But don't get me wrong, my friendship with my wife is perhaps one of my favorite things that God has given me in my entire life. Our relationship, though, had to evolve beyond this emotional experience to a point of depth and meaning. It's okay for the fire, the flame to sort of fizzle out as long as the fire, the deep fire continues to roar in your souls. I love my wife deeper, more self-sacrificially, more intentionally. I know the way she thinks before she ever even speaks, most of the time. Because our relationship was allowed to evolve beyond how we feel about each other. We are still madly in love and all of those things. But it is similar to how God works with us. If you are experiencing what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul, this experience where you no longer feel the presence of God like you used to, that is not bad. God is doing something in the psalmist's life, and he's doing something in yours as well. Now in verse 6, the psalmist says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. What is he saying? Well, geographically in Israel, the Jordan, and Mount Mazar in particular, is the farthest place away from the temple in Israel that you could get. What he is saying is, I am farther away from God than I have ever been in my entire life. In fact, I am the farthest away from God, at least this is how I feel, than I've ever felt, period. It's the farthest you can get and still be an Israelite. And some of you are in the room feeling the same way, that you have never felt further away from the presence of God than you do right now. Why does he feel this way? Well, in verse 7, we get a clue. In verse 7, he says, um, he says this, Deep calls the deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. He's speaking poetically of his circumstances. I was at the coast this last week, and I was watching as wave rolled in after wave, and I was reading this psalm, and I was thinking about this, that the psalmist is using this poetic language to describe that he feels like he is out, stuck in the ocean. 
And every time he comes up for air, he gets hit with another wave. Every time he comes up, hit again, hit again, hit again. The circumstances he's facing in his life are entirely overwhelming to him. He feels abandoned, crushed, overwhelmed by the chaotic waters of his circumstances. And the psalmist continues, and he says this interesting thing in verse 8. By day, the Lord, or Yahweh, directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. As the psalmist is in what feels like crushing circumstances, he's thrashing about looking for hope, looking for a life raft to get him out of this chaos. And he finds something unexpected, but not unfamiliar. He finds God. And more particularly, he finds Yahweh. This is the first time in the entirety of this psalm that God's true name would be used. And it isn't by accident that it is connected to his love. Whenever we read about names in the scriptures, what we're reading about is not just a name, but a nature. This is who this person is. They, they held names in such higher regard. And so when Yahweh declares his name, the I am, the same God who was to your ancestors, I am here with you. And I'm with me comes the love of God. He thrashes about in the chaos of his circumstances and grabs a hold of God's love. In verse 8, um, we see that there has been a progression of intimacy with God. If you remember in verse 2, he calls God the living God. But in verse 8, now he calls God the God of my life. Something has begun to shift and change. And hear this, it isn't his circumstances. If anything, the heat has been turned up in his crushing circumstances, but he has begun to be molded into a different person. A few months ago, um, I had the privilege of participating in our series on the book of Revelation. And maybe you remember, or maybe you weren't even here, but maybe you remember I put up a picture of my three daughters. And uh, it was July 16th of 2019 where my daughter Lennon was born and brought into this world. And a few weeks after that, I got a chance to preach. And so I shared with you a picture of my three daughters. And um, it was one of the greatest days, moments. It was one of the greatest moments of my life, the day my third daughter was born. But it also took place on perhaps one of the worst days of my life. Isn't it crazy how that works? Isn't it crazy that in one moment something so great can happen and then 10 hours later something so terrible can happen that it almost feels to sap all the life and joy out of whatever you're facing? That day and for the next 10 days I watched as my wife fought for her life. It was in that place, that very place, hour after hour, moments when I held my daughter and wondered, what would life be like to raise three daughters without their mom? <laughs> Can you tell I'm still working through this? <laughs> it's in places like that where God moves beyond the living God, 
where he moves beyond the theory or maybe what we've read on the page to the God of your life. Because there is nowhere else to go. And listen, things didn't change right away, but I began to change. And so does the psalmist. And that is what he invites you into. Now, I wish I could say that in good moments of my life, I am most transformed and changed by Jesus. But the reality is, it's in circumstances like that that I become more like Jesus. And I really wish it wasn't the case, but that's the reality is that pain is something that God uses to awaken our souls. C.S. Lewis once said it this way, that pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. There is not a causation of God towards your pain, but a reality that he will not waste your pain if you let him. And when he does, it is, you are never, ever the same. Now, what I love about the psalmist is that he's really, really human. Um, just as it seems like he's going through the tunnel and he sees light, it's as if the whole thing comes crashing down on him again. Verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 42 ends on a bummer. Bummer note, low note. It's depressing. It ends in this place where it's just like, that's it, I'm done. Put a fork in me, it's over. But the ancient tradition with Psalm 42 and 43 is that they should be read together as one single prayer. And the reason why is because in the kingdom of heaven, hope always has the final say. And in Psalm 43, what we read, but it's easy to miss, is a change in the psalmist's tone. How many of you know you should never send an angry email, right? Isn't it the strangest thing in the world when you get a text and you're like, I don't know what tone you're using here, See, that's sometimes the same way that we approach the scriptures, is that it's hard to understand or read tone in thousand-year-old documents, thousands of years old. But there's textual clues that tell us that now all of a sudden, the tone of the psalmist has changed. Up until this point, the psalm has been nothing but lament, complaints, recognition of where he is and how far he feels from God. But now things begin to change. Yes, there is still brokenness in his life, but now he asks God to move. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against the unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you will dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? 
I will put my hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. His journey is complete. He starts yearning and longing for the things of God, the things of his experience and worship and the feeling that he has. And he ends, not with a circumstance that has changed at all. In fact, probably is just as bad as it was. But he ends as a changed human being, not longing for the things of God, but longing simply just for the presence of God. Last night, um, in addition to my daughter telling me that Peppa Pig says that the soul is complicated, she wanted me to run through the whole message with her just before bedtime. <laughs> I was like, well, sure. So we kind of are running through it, and she goes, you know, Dad, that first part, I like it, but I don't like it. <laughs> okay. She said, you know, Dad, you know that whole thing about Jesus dying on a cross for our sins? I was like, yeah, I think I do know that thing. Talk about that. <laughs> She's right. She's right. Immediately after she went to bed, I went downstairs, and I just just jotted that down. I started thinking about it. And the Lord brought me to um, the end of his life, why he lay upon the cross, or was hung upon the cross. If you remember the last two things that Jesus says, the first is this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken or abandoned me? And then it says that with his last breath, he says it is finished. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus is actually embodying the entirety of the journey of this psalm. In one moment, he's experiencing the agony of what feels like God forgotten him and abandoned him. And yet in the very next breath, he declares with his mouth that his life is firmly planted in the love of the Father. And in doing so, he gives his life for us. Jesus died on the cross. I know this is like simple language for my five-year-old, but Jesus died on the cross so that we could have hope, eternal hope, so that death would not be the final say, so that your pain or your sorrow would not be the end of the story, so that Psalm 43 this awakening of hope in your life for your future would define you, not Psalm 42. So church, this morning, we're going to take time. And I don't know where you are, and I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what pains or trouble or um, what difficulty you've traversed over the last week. But here's what I do know. God is not afraid of your honesty. In fact, for many of you, he's just waiting for you to express with your mouth what you're feeling inside of your soul. Why? Because he wants to make you whole. He wants to heal that which is hiding inside of you. He's not afraid of your honesty. He's not afraid of what's there. And maybe you're in this space today and you're experiencing what the psalmist says, I have never felt farther from the plan, from the purpose, from the presence of God in my life. And today, he's here. Today, he was always here. Today, he wants to meet you and speak to you.
and change your story. And so we're gonna create space for wherever you are and for whatever you're going through to hear from the creator of the universe. And as that space winds up, you're gonna have the opportunity to do what the psalmist does. And although he doesn't feel it, he acts, he worships, he prays to the God who he thinks has abandoned him. And you're gonna have the chance to do the same, to step up, to stand up, and to declare with your entire life who God is. And so church, would you just take the next few minutes with me and would you be still and would you be quiet in front of the Lord?